Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today we dive into the Canadian equity markets and get an update on Fidelity's True North Fund with portfolio manager Max Lemieux. Fidelity True North Fund is a Canadian equity fund that seeks to invest in companies that are expected to grow over the long term and that are trading at reasonable valuations. Despite a volatile week for the TSX Composite, Max emphasizes that the Canadian market is an interesting play right now, and it's more than just banks per se. He says there are energy companies that look interesting, and there's a lot of diversity from food to technology. Max reiterates that he buys stocks gradually based on his conviction or milestones that the company reaches. He notes not all companies will hit their bottom at the same time. He says some industrial companies last October and November were very close to their bottoms. Then they had an upside of 50 to 100%. He notes it should pay off to be patient in the long run. He also notes the True North Fund seeks to take advantage of changes in the economy and that he is very careful about valuation. Max also discusses recession probabilities and housing in Canada and the U.S., among other topics. This podcast was recorded on September 20th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Great to see you, Max. Hi, how's it going? How are you? Well, good morning, everyone. I'm fine. Um, Just getting started with a nice summer here. Summer September. I know. It's but uh, but we're still uh, on our toes. Uh, this market is is uh, very busy, and uh, you know, the past uh, week or two, we've seen a, a surge in IPOs again. It feels like there's a window again where capital markets are getting active. But we'll see if that's the last window or the beginning of something new. I'm so interested to hear your thoughts because we're sort of we're sort of in this post-COVID world. We're past the reopening. We've had all the rates, uh, the increases. Now, now the question is: Do we have sort of a tuck-in rate rise, or or do we hold it here, or some combination of above? Is everything new to an extent? I mean, how are you investing through this? Is this have we gotten through a well, whole bunch of stuff, and the world has changed, or not? Pamela, the, the return to a more normal economy um, and society coming out of COVID, and by the way, COVID is still among us, especially for the elderlies, but the reality is that um, there's not much new since the last webcast that we uh, we had, um, and, and frankly, it's a bit of a continuation. For sure, rates are still um, are higher than the last time, and uh, we're starting finally to see some signs of Toughness among the consumer. And the reality is it's higher rates, um, means higher mortgages. Um, even though we'll talk about that, but, um, it's not everybody that had an increase in their payments as of yet. Um, and remember that in the U.S., I believe it's 84% of, um, households 
that are tied to uh, mortgages, um, long-term mortgages that currently have lower rates below like 5% or 4%. So there's, you know, the market in the U.S. is kind of frozen. Nobody wants to sell their house because a new mortgage would be costing a lot more money. Um, and I think that those higher rates took more time to kick in. Uh, same thing about corporate America. They've refinanced at zero, one, two percent rates over the past two, three years. So therefore, they don't necessarily need to borrow at, you know, six, seven, eight percent. And uh, it's fascinating to me. We have like still low corporate spreads in general uh, on the debt market. So it doesn't seem to be like huge signs of stress in the financial system. You look at the VIX, very low. Uh, markets seem to be very calm. We we don't have any days of a, you know, a two or three percent move in the market. I remember when I started my career in the ni- late nineties or in the two thousands. It, it was common to see those kind of days, and that everything's been kind of up or steady this year. And remember, it's higher valuations. That's been the return of the market this year. The S and P five hundred is three or four points higher in terms of P multiple and. It feels a bit rich, but again, it's a dichotomy. When you go below the surface, um, it's very much like a lot of small cap companies um, that are trading closer to maybe their bottom, respective bottoms. And you've got the top 50 names, including, the, you know, the darling in the technology world that reach um, much higher valuations. And therefore, you know, it, it's, it, it, to me, it's still reminiscent of 2000, 2001. Um, and on the housing side, obviously, we don't have something comparable to 2006, 2008 in the U.S. So you could say that we're somewhat in a better shape, financially speaking, but the consumer is starting to get a little bit of stress. And, um, you know, just to add to this, um, in Canada, for instance, uh, by the end of 23 this year, 40% of the payments will have uh, um, increased compared to early 22. And by the end of 24, next year, it will be 60%. Yeah, I was just going to say, what does that mean for, for the economy? For I mean, Well, that mean means, very- uh, yeah. uh, well, I'll give you the, the clear stat here that I think means uh, what it means. According to one of the large Canadian bank, uh, their consumer that had to go through an increase in their mortgage uh, on on average, they had to cut spending by 15%, 1.5%. So there is an impact. We see it also in terms of trading down. Um, you know, you look at um, what the grocers in Canada tell us is that people yeah. are still chasing and going down. They're downshifting. They're going to the discount bro- uh, stores um, or they just don't, uh, they cut back on, on brands. They go for, um, you know, private label. Um, and also Dollarama, for instance, Dollarama is selling, uh, more food items than before. Uh, it's not perishable, but it's, it's, um, they compete, uh, with some of the grocers for some categories and, and they, they're seeing it. I mean, Dollarama had fantastic numbers over the past, uh, two or three quarters and they see this, uh, new con- consumer coming in. Um, so it, it is happening. But I, I, we, we have to make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that we have in Canada many corporations that are well run, quality names, uh, good balance sheet that continue to also grow 
outside Canada. And, uh, you know, we had a two exam- recent example over the past six, 12 months. Like we had uh, this summer Intact Financial that bought um, a large commercial line in the UK uh, from um, a UK insurance company. They raised $500 million in new equity this, this summer. Uh, Kushtar bought um, a network from Total, um, you know, earlier this year. So these companies um, continue to grow outside Canada. So as you know, uh, we have in Canada a much more, a more interesting market. And I've been talking about this coming out of COVID and during COVID, given all the IPOs of companies ranging from, you know, uh, pet foods to, you know, um, technology names, um, including drawstores companies. So we had a full array of companies that went public. And I think there's more diversity in the market. So Canada is not only about banks. It's not only about energy, even though <laughs> there's still a large component of the index. But I I, I still think that despite this ongoing um, softness and slowdown, and who knows if there will be a recession and if there's one, to what extent, you know, maybe the employment market won't be too, too impacted. Maybe it might be something like 2000, 2001. We'll see. Um, but the reality is, um, I think, given the new world order, the geopolitics, um, and all the risk that we know of, it's, um, I think it's an interesting market for the long term, the very long term. I mean, tell us where you, you deploy patience and discipline, I think, uh, just as who you are, but at at other times where it's more difficult to do that, I wonder if you can kind of rate on a scale of one to 10, if it's more difficult to be kind of patient with this market. (laughs) We have to be patient. An, an example here, as I said, it's it's taking a bit more time before interest rates um, have an impact uh, in terms of restraining the consumer or or the spending in the economy. Uh, but it was seen at 2006 were the first red flags, you know, commercial paper, mortgage securities, um, extremely like new record in terms of oil prices. It took like two years and a half, even right. more right. before we had the real uh, downturn in the economy um, or bankruptcies for that matter. So I think we have to do it. I think, as you know, my style is very much uh, incremental. I like to buy stocks gradually based on my conviction or milestones that companies reach or uh, what management promises uh, in this quarter. So, um, and I think a market that behaves this way, I think is good because it gives you a bit of a bit more time to position yourself or what you think might be happening. And at the same time, I want investors to remember that not every company or sector will hit their bottom at the same time. So it's a bit that of a fallacy. That is a very important thing to remember. It's a fallacy yeah. for sure. And it's, it's a fallacy that people have that, you know, it's like the boxing day. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You want to wait for the index to be down 10% a day. Well, listen, it's, it's not, it, it might happen one day like this, but, um, you know, what we saw the crash of 87, this doesn't happen at every, in every cycle. So we have to be mindful. And a best, the best example is that in October, November last year, um, I was really not sure that we had hit the bottom, but there were some names, industrial companies that, um, had were very close to their own respective bottom uh, for an upside that was 50% to 100%. And it made sense. And especially if you have a good balance sheet. So if you 
focus on companies and that have um, that are well positioned in terms of downside versus the upside. That's an exercise that we do with our analyst all the time uh, on each company that we own. Um, it should pay off in the long run. So I think that um, my patience <laughs> is still there. I've not lost it, and uh, I'm trying to be very active. Uh, that's the reality. And every recession is different one to another. And um, as I said, it's possible that due to demographics, then it could be different this time around. And and maybe the spending capex from large corporations, uh, you know, the insourcing uh, due to geopolitics, we see a lot of spending that continue. In North America and in Europe, the Western world. And um, so it might be just very different. Uh, again, it's very surprising to me that we have this deep inversion on the yield curve. Um, as I said, very tight spreads, corporate versus uh, treasuries. And we've got higher rates and still everything seems to be working. But as I said, I think the U.S. economy is definitely driven by um, – long duration rates and it's just that everybody had locked up interesting financing at low rates um so maybe it's just taking a bit more time what does that mean for the capex cycle just give us your comment so a lot of corporations as you say locked up um you know if they were going to if they were going to issue debt and they did it uh, at lower rates what what are they spending it on well, I think we're still, well, as you know, we've seen a slew of, of large investments from semiconductor companies. So they're investing in the U.S., uh, they're investing in Western Europe. We're seeing that also on the battery front. Uh, you know, we've seen it in Quebec and Ontario. There were a couple of announcements. Yeah, let's get into uh, the batteries. Tell us there was Volkswagen, GM. Yeah. So this is happening. Uh, the EV transition is really taking place. But again, remember that a lot of that lithium being converted, it's done out of China. So I think a lot of the Western world governments will continue to invest and support the growth of uh, these companies are part of the supply chain here um, and uh, that will create a strong support for copper and lithium for now. But again, uh, remember that we have to be mindful that these battery plants, they're, they're quite expensive, but um, they're also built in order to get ready for the next generation of batteries. And um, because you don't want to have a, um, a, new, a brand new plant that will be solely dependent on one technology that who knows in five years time might be completely um you know might not be worthwhile to continue to invest in so we'll see but i think that this capex cycle will be ongoing and for sure it might soften again a little bit but i think there's a secular twist to um what we're seeing in the world how do you lean into that or or not lean into it what what do you think on the on the well, sector versus yeah. cyclical the, the fund is, is, has been positioned to take advantage of this. And, and for sure, there are some names, let's say, related to automation, um, where maybe their backlog is softening a little bit, but doesn't mean that the earnings going to be declining. But sometimes, you know, we have to be, um, careful about valuation. Um, you know, it's, it's still part of my process. <laughs> And uh, if there's a bit too much excess or if the sentiment is uh, overly bullish on a theme or a company, um, so sometimes I do have to, to pair back. Um, and um, and it doesn't mean that I, I've lost 
the faith in this, right? So it's just a question of positioning what you own. For instance, like what you're asking for is industrials, right? That falls into industrials and there's transportation also that gets involved here. But um, even on this, you know, there's the auto, auto parts. Now, as you know, there's a, a huge strike um, ongoing in the U.S. Well, a huge strike, sorry. Small strike for now, but we'll see. I think it's on Friday. We'll see if that will become a larger scale. And everybody is negotiating. I think the unions are <laughs> extremely um, will are very much willing to fight harder this time around, and they're very vocal. and And we'll see. What does Friday it mean for the stocks? Uh, the stocks. What well, we've seen this. Um, Looked at, uh, if you look at Magna, for instance, or these companies, like they've basically been, um, weaker in just in front of the strike. And now it's wait and see, right? And, um, some of these companies, usually in previous, uh, periods where they were like, uh, significant strikes, typically they will be under pressure. Uh, some of these names can be down 10, 20%. And, and, some of these names are actually already down 10%. So we have to wait. If, if there's no strike for sure, maybe it's the bottom in the short term. Um, and doesn't mean they're badly positioned for the long run, but that will create volatility. But putting aside this, this situation, uh, about the strike, remember that buying a new car right now in the US will cost you between eight to 10% as a consumer. Uh, unless you're buying maybe from the dealer and they get free financing from the big three or the automakers. And we've seen it in the past that might com be coming back, but who knows what will be the new cost structure based on those wages, the, the new, uh, wage structure. Um, but that's, we're starting to see some softness, um, on the car front and, uh, in many aspects of the industrial chain. Uh, it's starting to happen. Other subsectors maybe where we have not seen softness, obviously, is the, the, um, sorry, the engineering firms. They're obviously benefiting from the IRA in the U.S. As you know, it's a massive capex, uh, stimulus. Uh, and it's great for many corporations. And, uh, we benefit from this in Canada. We have a couple of large engineering consulting firms. Uh, they're very well positioned on a global, footprint. Uh, so it's, again, it's not only Canada. Um, having said that, yeah, I, I don't want to trash the party here, but remember that if rates stay where they're at, um, government interest expenses will be going up and creeping up uh, over the next year and two years. And um, we have to pay attention to this because I remember very well the early 90s uh, when um, there was this massive restructuring and civil servants being laid off in Ottawa. And uh, in the U.S., they were shutting down like public libraries and, and uh, um, even like firing cops. Like, again, I don't want to predict the, <laughs> uh, a dire um, state of the public finance, but it's something to pay attention to. Next year, I believe... Uh, the U.S. interest expenses will represent about 14% of the uh, government budget. So it's definitely um, it might be an off. issue to pay attention to. Okay. You spoke a little bit about this, but let, let's dive in a little bit further there. What, what are you seeing? I think 
a lot of people know that, you know, spending and the consumer ability to spend is tied to what they're doing with their mortgages. But how do you look at the financial sector right now? Yep. Listen, again, like I've not really changed. The view is still um, careful about the banks. Um, they're reasonably priced. However, um, provisions for potential losses are still on the low side. They've not recovered to a normalized level. Um, and usually, unless the cycle is very different, and it might be, um, but otherwise, these banks are not necessarily as cheap as people think. There's the capital market division. Uh, as you know, we're still seeing softness in real estate offices. Having said that, interesting anecdote that I read this morning, um, it's a stat from the U.S., uh, jobs postings. Um, the percentage that now is quoting remote work has been cut in half. Uh, nice. So I, I believe that it's now not even 25%. Um, but anyways, it's a drastic change, step down. And the, it's on the back of lower productivity that has been noticed from people working from home. So we'll see if this thesis on offices will remain uh, in a black, you know, in this current state. Obviously, it's all negative right now, uh, but maybe a year from now, we'll see. Uh, so those are things that we have to pay attention to. But the banks for now, obviously, um, it's it's an underweight, and uh, I'm 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 a bit careful on these. Life goes also same thing. I've, as you know, I've been, um, I've been a bit, uh, on the way there. And, uh, the only, the, the stories that I've really worked over the past year, it's really the, um, uh, PNC. And that's interesting because that's despite climate changes and all the, um, environmental issues at situations. So why, that we've so why had. are insurers working well? Well, <laughs> have you seen your bill lately? Well, yes. Uh, so, so it's going up. Premiums are going up. Uh, could be auto, housing, um, and some of these companies I'll, I'll share with you might not fit the bill for the Canadian insurers. Okay. But, uh, there was a interesting quote last week or two weeks ago. This was a U.S. uh, company, uh, sorry, a U.S. home holder. He had, he wanted to be insured for a $60 million home in South, uh, Florida. And he couldn't find an insurer. Turns out that he found one company that agreed on insuring his house for only 50 million instead of 60. Uh, and his premium for the year is priced at $600,000. Um, for a lot of these uh, homes in the places where it's more risky in the U.S., they've seen price of these premiums going up by six to 10 times. So they're doing Short well order. because people are paying them, but that doesn't that doesn't seem to bode well for the future. Or, or for the it. middle, think about it. For the middle class, or people that are not even yeah. in the middle class, that's going to be a big deal. So that's insurance premiums uh, alone, and that's part of the inflation numbers. So that's why I think that inflation, for sure, it's ticking down. But look at yesterday's number in Canada; it right. started to go up again because of um, energy prices, which, as we know. The year-over-year -year comparison on the oil side, um, it's it's starting to increase again. So we'll see. There are parts, pockets of the inflation where it's going to continue to go down, and other parts that you know, unfortunately, will create a support or just put some upward pressure on it. 
So I'm still, again, back to our first comments uh, this morning, um, still of the view um, that inflation will continue to, to come down a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be feasible unless you have a recession to have like a 2%, 2.5% inflation. I, I think we've got these wage growth that will continue and we'll see how, how these unions will will succeed to get these uh, wage increases. Remember, there was this great, um, well, great, was it EPS that finalized their deal this summer? And yeah, I believe, that, that I forgot the quote, but I think as a, a driver now, uh, in five years, five years from now, you'll be entitled to get a package that represents about a compensation of $175,000 U.S. per year. I mean, no wonder nobody wants to work in restaurants. I would. I would um, you know, tell me it's good to know that I might, I might still be good to have a, a second job after Fidelity, right. you know. <laughs> right. Max has to slip out just uh, for a few hours. He's going to. Yeah. We'll see him back here. Um, tell us about energy. You, you mentioned oil there. We were talking sure. about the oil prices. Um, sometimes that's really good for Canada. How does it work into your investment yeah. thesis? Look, the Canadian dollar has been somewhat stable you know it has weakened a little bit but very gradually but the fact that oil is back and that interest rates in canada might be catching up a little bit with the u.s um you know i think that tells you where we're at and canadian oil Alberta is doing okay um we've got some pipelines where uh they're being completed lng in canada will start to get exported in um 2025, I believe. Don't quote me on the exact date or month. But I think that um, we might see more on that front. It's too yeah. early to tell. But I think Canada is well positioned. And we've mentioned in the past, Canadian producers that now export to the U.S. in order to get access to LN, their um, U.S. LNG terminals. And um, that creates demand for natural gas uh, from Canada. Um, the, you know, for sure, OPEC um is the wild card and we're talking about the saudis with the russians and we know that they have maintained their cuts production cuts and they're very worried because if the economy slows down if china doesn't come back as expected i can tell you the, the mood in china is quite negative uh, maybe it's a contrarian indicator but there's no large stimulus package in order to create massive infrastructure project Oil demand keeps going up, but maybe not as fast as expected. So that's the um, that's the reality. So oil is high right now, 91 bucks WTI. But uh, if there's a slowdown in the economy, and we'll see if the Saudis uh, keep these cuts uh, effective or not. So um, remember, oil at 91 bucks, that's going to be quite good for production in the U.S. next year because there's yes. it was a little bit on the soft side this year. And uh, maybe they'll start producing. So I would look also the service players have done quite well, uh, especially the one that have also exposure outside North America. Uh, so international services, the one expo exposed to LNG uh, equipment or services, like um, I think they, um, well, the outlook um, is still quite strong based on uh, what we keep hearing. So energy per se, I just would be a bit careful. Uh, but in the long run, I think this this transition from fossil fuel to the EV, it's going to take time. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to take time. take time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about how you sort of think Canadians should think about the metals 
story because it, it obviously fits with the EV. You, you mentioned uh, yep. what it takes for the battery companies themselves. What about the miners? What about the metals? Um, Listen, in, in Canada, again, uh, we have a decent amount of companies that own mines, but um, a lot of them are not even located in Canada. That's the reality. And copper this year has been quite um, resilient, and there were issues in Chile. Chile is the largest copper producer worldwide. Uh, they're going through mining plans changes and new uh, mining laws. So there, you know, there was a lot of uh, politics also, uh, water issues also in Chile. Uh, but all in all, just to say that um, copper seems to be resilient. Maybe next year there might be a little bit of a surplus. Maybe there could be a little bit of weakness. But if you're taking a, a three-year view, and if you believe in this transition, uh, for sure, you still, um, I think that some of these copper names, even lithium at some point uh, will be interesting again. Lithium, again, uh, there's there's plenty of lithium out there. Uh, but for the time being, it's, it's still trading at a very rich premium. But I think copper... Um, again, a few years ago, you remember that the new label was the, the red gold, right? So time will tell. Sure. Max Lemieux, it's, it's fabulous to speak with you. And uh, we could go on, actually. But uh, we'll, we'll leave it there for now and invite you to be back. We hope really, really soon. All the best and thanks for updating us. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.